Ruth 1, the first, the first week that we looked at three weeks ago in Ruth chapter 1 is one of the most depressing stories throughout all of the Old Testament. It's full of death. It's full of famine in the land. And it's full of this is what happens when you take matters into your own hands and get outside of God's will. But not only do we see that, we see after all of that death had happened, Naomi decides, hey, I'm tired of living in Moab. I'm tired of living in this foreign land. I want to go back home. And she said, daughter-in-laws, see ya. I'm going home. One daughter-in-law says, okay, it's, it's been fun. I'm going to stay here. Um, but then the other one named Ruth, she was like, no, I want to go with you, Naomi. We're family. We're family now. We're in this together. So Naomi and Ruth go back to their homeland, right? They go back to where they were from. And when they get there, which we saw in Ruth chapter two, Naomi is, is, is kind of bitter, right? She literally wants to be called bitterness. Like that's what she legit wants her name to be is bitterness. But who wouldn't be bitter after all of that happened, right? I would be for sure. Um, so she's kind of wallowing in her, in her self-pity. She's kind of saying, oh, woe is me. Um, th- th- all this happened to me. I'm pitiful. I'm pathetic. Um, but Ruth, on the other hand, she says no. She says, I'm going to get up out of this, and I'm going to make something of myself. We need to be taken care of, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm tired of just sitting here. I'm tired of, of feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to get up, get out, and get moving towards God which is what we talked about in week two. And Ruth gets working in the fields of this superhero named Boaz, basically. Um, the, the Boaz was like this stereotypical, like, if you can think of like the manliest man you can think of, that was Boaz. He was a warrior. He was a worker. He was a rich businessman. He was a godly man. He was a man of integrity. Anything you can possibly think of. If you, ladies, if you think of like the perfect husband, that was Boaz. And men, if you think of, hey, I want to be like this guy, right? Like Captain America, or I think of like Thor, um, like the superhero Thor. When I think of like, you know, somebody who I like the ultimate man, that's who I think of. That's who Boaz was. So on steps this scene of Boaz, and he kind of takes a liking to Ruth. He's like, hey, girl, I see you doing work over there in my fields. I appreciate you. Here's what we're going to do for you. Um, We're actually kind of close relatives in case you didn't know, because they were. Boaz was a distant relative of Naomi's husband. And he says, listen, Ruth, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make it easy for you to work. I'm going to make it easy for you to pick up this grain. I'm going to make it easy and I'm going to provide for you. Which is something that Naomi and Ruth really needed. They were by themselves. During this time of biblical times, like way before this, this was the time of the judges. So things were not good in the land at this point. And two widows living together was not something that, that was very common. Um, they, they were poor. They needed somebody to provide for them. They needed that sort of male to take care of them. So Boaz is kind of stepping into that role. Well, as Ruth is working in Boaz's fields, some time passes. We don't know exactly how long, how much time kind of elapsed there, but she'd been doing it for a while. And From what we know, Boaz never made any sort of like advancements or progress towards Ruth. Um, He never like, you know, was like, hey, let me take you on a date. Or, hey, you know, what are you doing this afternoon after you get done working in my fields? Like, can I walk you home? Like, he never made any advancements that we know of. Well, 
that made Naomi a, a little upset because Naomi was like, Ruth, girl, we got to get you married. We, we got we to get you taken care of. You've been working in this man's field and nothing's happening. We got to get you married. So she hatches this scandalous plan, this sort of sketchy plan where we talked about last week, Pastor Frank talked about last week, where she was going to like sneak into the threshing floor, which was basically this place where the men worked and they um, kind of deconstructed the grain or whatever. Um, Naomi was like, listen, Ruth, when Boaz is done eating dinner and drinking, you're going to sneak down to that threshing room floor. And while he's sleeping, you're just going to like cuddle up next to him and then see what happens. That was basically her plan. Wasn't a very good one, but it was her plan. And what we see is Boaz says, Ruth, I appreciate you. You're a blessing. You're a young, beautiful woman. Uh, you could have any of these younger men, but you choose not to. Um, but, and he was basically like, but I'm not, I, wa- I want to do this the right way. This is not the right way to do this. This is not, we are not going about this relationship the right way. And I want to treat you with enough integrity and, and respect and dignity to do this the right way. So that's where Pastor Frank left off last week is that um, Boaz was like, listen, there's a little detail we got to take care of first, but if I can take care of that, if we can figure this out, I want to do this the right way because I know I do want to take care of you and marry you, but I have something to figure out first. There's one thing in the way. And that's where I'm going to pick up today, which is um, actually sort of the end of Ruth 3, which is Ruth 3, 12 and 13. If we can look at that real quick, because here's the deal. Here was the little detail. Here was the problem with Boaz marrying Ruth at this point. So in Ruth 3, chapter 12, or Ruth chapter 3, verse 12, it says, but while it's true This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. This is Boaz saying, hey, here's the problem. Here's the reason why I can't marry you right now. He's just saying, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you by myself Now lie down here until morning. So that begs the question, and Pastor Frank talked about this last week too, but just a gentle reminder, what is a kinsman redeemer, right? Like like what is that? When he says, you know, if this man will redeem you, what does that actually mean? Well, in old Levitical law, if you go back, way back into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and those, this, these old laws, essentially what a kinsman redeemer was is it was the next closest male relative of the family. It was his responsibility to take care for the widows of the family. So for example, Naomi, um, her husband passed away. Um, so whoever was the next closest relative to her husband was supposed to be the kinsman redeemer who would come in and take care for Naomi because she was a widow. And when that happens, the redeemer sort of, you know, he kind of takes care of them. He, he provides for them. He kind of takes care of the family land for them. So that way she doesn't have to because she's a widow. And he kind of gains control over that until they have sons to keep the family in line or whatever. So what Boaz is saying here is he's saying, look, Ruth, I, 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 you know, I, I would like to redeem you, but the problem is it's not my place according to the law. According to the law that God has given us, I'm number two in line. I'm not number one. 
there is somebody else in line who has first rights to you. So he is saying, I'll talk to him and see if he wants to redeem you, to see if he wants to, to do this for you. Um, and if he does, then there's nothing I can do about it. That's the law. But if he doesn't, then I assure you, I will be the one to redeem you. But I want to do this the right way, Ruth, because I'm a godly man of integrity, because I'm Boaz and I'm a superhero. I want to make sure I get this done correctly. So that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter four now. So if we will go to Ruth four, and let's just look at the first verse here. So this is the next morning after they spend the night, a few hours on the threshing room floor, right? This is the next morning. So it says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Um, Pastor Frank also mentioned that the gate, like the town gate is where they went to do business, right? This is where like all of the wise men came. This is where all of like the political leaders, all of the, the male leaders of the city, this is where they would come and gather. Think of it almost like a courthouse. Like this is where all official business would be done. Um, so they imagine just like, you know, like 10 people or whatever, 10 elders that were crowded around that, you know, did business deals. Um, they made rules for the, or they enforced the laws or whatever. So this is the scene here is Boaz isn't just going to the town gate by himself and just sitting there. Um, there's actually a reason. This was a normal thing for him. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, I want to stop here for a minute because the, the second part of this verse is really important. It says, the second sentence says, just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. If you just read that, you'll think, oh, what a coincidence. The man that we needed just happened to walk by, right? But you could think it's a coincidence, but then when you read it the way we've taken Ruth so far, you'll know that that's God interworking that, right? That's God's invisible hand who is saying, hey, I'm gonna give you that guy that you're looking for, right? You don't have to go looking for him. I'm going to bring him to you. That's God's providence when he intervenes in something, right? When he intervenes in your life. Because see, God works one of two ways most of the time. He works through his visible hand, like things you can physically see, and then he works this way, through an invisible hand, pushing this guy to where he needs to be, right? And what I love about Ruth and what I think is so relatable to this story is most of the time throughout Ruth, God is working behind the scenes. God is not forefront. God is not out in front making himself known. He's not out in front doing miracles. He's doing everything from behind the scenes. He's letting Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and all of these characters be front and center. He's taking a back seat here. He's using his invisible hand to orchestrate and make things work, but you don't really see it. And the reason why I think the story of Ruth is so relatable to us is because that's how God works in our life most of the time. Most of the time, we're not gonna see his visible hand. Like you're not gonna go out in the middle of your field like Moses did and a flaming bush is gonna start talking to you. Um, and, and if it does, you might want to seek some medical attention um, because that's not normal. But he, I mean, it just doesn't happen like that. You're not going to literally stand there like Joshua and watch the sun stand still for two days. You're just not going to see that, right? That's God's visible hand. We don't see that very often. Most of the time when God works in our life, it's like this. 
behind the scenes. He's behind there placing people strategically in your life where they need to be. He's working behind the scenes to help you think through decisions and make the right decisions that are best for your family, but you don't really see it. And that's why I think Ruth is so important because it's us. It's normal people doing everyday things. There has been nothing spectacular about this story. It's been death. It's been people feeling sorry for themselves. It's been a woman working in the field. It's been a woman trying to do some scandalous plan. It's stuff that happens on a daily basis for us. And that's what makes it so relatable. Because we can take this story and see, hey, God can work this way. I work a nine to five job and then I go home, but God can still do something for me. I may not see it, but I know that his invisible hand is at work. I know his providence can still intervene in my life. And that's what I love about Ruth is that just these normal people don't even know what God is doing behind the scenes. So I think that's really important here, this second sentence that says, the family redeemer just so happened to walk by. That is God orchestrating this all throughout the story. That is 100% not a coincidence. It's God's invisible hand and God's providence at work to make the story happen. So as he comes over, um, Boaz calls out to him. He says, come over here, friend, and sit down. What's another interesting thing about this, notice what Boaz calls this kinsman redeemer. He says, friend, or some translations say, my friend. Well, if you actually translate this out of English and I didn't do it. I read a commentary about it and I thought it was so interesting. If you translate this actually out of English and you translate into the original Hebrew that it was written in, this is actually like a common Hebrew phrase for my friend. It's basically the equivalent of us saying, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. What's his name, right? That's essentially what Boaz is calling this man here. He's saying, hey, hey, old buddy. Hey, Mr. Guy, right? He doesn't give him a name, which I find to be very interesting. Boaz knows this dude's name. He's in the same family. He's their relatives. Boaz knows this dude's name. That would be the equivalent of me calling my cousin like, hey girl, how you doing? Like, hey, Mr. Whatever your name is, right? I know my cousin's names. Boaz knows this dude's name. Even the narrator who's writing this, because Boaz is writing this, even the person who's writing this doesn't give the dude a name. And I think the reason they do that is to sort of create this impression that, hey, this guy, he, he, he's not an important character, right? He, he doesn't really matter. He's not that important. They're giving us a negative impression of this guy already by not giving him a name, saying, hey, he's, he's not gonna be a memorable guy. They're foreshadowing. He's trying to tell you something down the, few, down the line that's saying, hey, this guy's really not going to matter, right? He's giving you a hint. He's giving you a secret. He's giving you sort of an indication of what's to come. Just like that M. Night Shalomalan guy. He gives you little things throughout the movie, but you don't notice it until the end. I'm going ahead and giving you a hint. This guy is not going to be one of the main characters of the story. But I think it's interesting that he calls him that, Mr. So-and-so. It's like when, uh, like when 
Like you're walking in the grocery store or something and you see out of the corner of your eye, like somebody you vaguely remember, like somebody you went to high school with like, you know, 20 years ago. And then all of a sudden you're walking, you're like, oh, I see them. I'm going to, you know, pretend I don't. And then all of a sudden out of the corner of your eye, you see them like start walking towards you and they're like on a mission. They're like, I'm going to talk to you. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then you start thinking, you're like, what's their name? What's their name? What's their name? And you can't remember their name. And then all of a sudden they're like getting right on top of you and they start to stick out their hand for the handshake or give, you know, go for the hug. And you're like, crap, I don't remember their name. Shoot, come on, come on, think, think, think. And then all of a sudden they say your name. They're like, hey, Jackson. You're like, hey, guy, hey, buddy, hey, friend, uh, hey, pal. Or the, I, in the church, if you're in church, it's the good old Christian brother, right? It's like, hey, brother, how you doing, man? Right, brother, sister, how you doing? That's the equivalent of what's going on here. He's not important. He's anonymous, essentially. That, so I paint that picture of this sort of vague Mr. Who Cares guy, right? So Boaz says, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Verse two says, then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. So Boaz is setting the scene. He says, hey, I need 10 of you guys to come over here and sit and watch what's about to happen. I need 10 people to come over here and see the transaction, to see the deal, to see the business that's about to take place because I need witnesses. Speaking of the transaction that's about to take place, let's not forget Boaz is a very, very good businessman. We learned who Boaz was in the earlier chapters of Ruth. He owned a lot of land. He was very wealthy. He was a very wealthy man. He was a businessman. He was one of the town leaders. So clearly he dealt with business deals and transactions all the time. And what we're about to see is Boaz putting those business skills on display. Boaz is really slick. What he does here is a really slick sales tactic that I think is awesome. Um, so let's, let, let's read what, what's about to happen here. Let's read uh, verse three. So Boaz says, to Mr. Who Cares, you know, Naomi who came back from Moab, she is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now, this sounds like a total slam dunk investment deal for Mr. What's-His-Name. Boaz is saying to this man, all right, here's the deal. So, you know, Naomi, our relative, well, you know, her husband died. So we need somebody to redeem the land and you're next in line. You will get all the land that comes with it. And this guy, I can just imagine this guy thinking, okay, I'll get all of this land I can grow a bunch of crops on it. I can even pass it down to my sons, you know, in a few years when they get old enough. And all I have to do is take care of an old widow named Naomi. And then when she dies, I've, I've got the land done. It's a home run, home run investment for this guy. He said, I can buy this land for pennies on the dollar for what it's worth because land was everything then. Land was the symbol of wealth at that point. The more land you had, the more wealthy you were. So this guy is saying, I can almost double my wealth. I can almost double my social standing in society by buying this land for really cheap, all because this lady needs somebody to take care of her. 
And she's an old woman. She'll die soon. I don't really have to spend that much to take care of her. She, I mean, yeah, she's kind of grumpy because she's bitter, but whatever. I can handle that. I get all this land. He's like, done. It's a home run. It's a slam dunk, right? Can you just imagine the scene here? Imagine these 10 leaders. I imagine them in a circle that I imagine like Boaz and this family redeemer in the middle. And then probably maybe a crowd was gathering, right? I mean, at the the town gate, if you see like a bunch of people doing some kind of business deal, I can imagine a crowd was, um, was kind of forming. Maybe Ruth and Naomi, because they knew Boaz was gonna try to take care of this problem. Maybe they kind of snuck into the crowd to see what was going on, to see Boaz, to see what Boaz was doing. Can you imagine Naomi and Ruth's like, like mindset at this moment? What a letdown, right? When that family redeemer says, yeah, I'll take the land, Naomi and Ruth are probably like, oh no, we wanted Boaz. We wanted Boaz. Imagine, I could just imagine Naomi and her bitterness being like, Boaz, what are you doing? You just served it up to, on a silver platter for this guy. Of course, you made it sound like the best deal in the world. Of course he's going to take it. Couldn't you have made it sound a little worse so he wouldn't want to do it? You, you just handed it to this guy. And can you imagine Ruth saying, but, but Boaz, you, you, you told me you would take care of me. You, you told me you wanted to marry me and you didn't, you, you didn't even try. You didn't even try to, to, to fight for me. You just, you just gave it to him. But Boaz, Boaz knows what he's doing. Because if you look in the next verse, right after that, in, uh, in verse five, so Boaz says, okay, so you said you'll purchase the land. All right, cool. Oh, by the way, there's some little details we got to talk about. Because your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and then keep the land and the family. Boaz is so slick because he's saying, hey, oh, by the way, a little detail, I don't know if this will like change your mind or anything. You also get the responsibility of Ruth, who is younger, who can have children. And by Levitical law, you're required to marry her and provide her an heir to the land. So really, you're going to buy this land, but then it's going to go to her son that you have the responsibility of having with her. So you're not going to get to keep it either. It's just not going to happen. Oh, and also, I forgot to mention too, she's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. You know, the people like 30 miles down the road that like worship demon gods and stuff. Yeah, she's one of those. Is that going to be all right? Is that cool? And of course, the man in verse six says, oh, um, well, since you mentioned it like that, nah, fam, can't do it. I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this would endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Boaz is so slick. He serves it up to this guy. He's got this guy all excited. He's like, yes, yes, I'm about to double my land size. I'm about to be really, I'm about to be really wealthy. And then all of a sudden, Boaz says, oh, but Ruth. And he's like, oh, no, I cannot. Imagine the scene. So if we go take this back to, to the romantic comedy drama movie, right? We just had a really, really low point where 
the villain of the story, this Mr. Who Cares, the villain comes onto the, bursts onto the scene and is like, Ruth, girl, you're mine. You're mine. Sorry, Boaz. We're at this very bottom, and this is the point in the movie where your heart just sinks. You're like, it's like when the main character, something really bad happens to him, you're like, no. You're at the very low, low point, right? But then instantly it flips. And then all of a sudden, this guy, Boaz, the hero comes in and saves the day. He's like, Ruth, I promise, I told you, I got you. Let me show you, I got you. I'm gonna take care of you. And then the villain, the family redeemer, Mr. So-and-so walks off the scene. And I can just imagine this is where like, in the movies, like the, the orchestra music like swells in and you have everybody like dancing and singing. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, Ruth, woo, Boaz, right? And you're just at like the highest of highs in this movie. The villain is gone. The protagonist is in. Boaz and Ruth. Because the guy says, Boaz, you redeem it. Let's read what Boaz says in verse nine and 10. This is the hero, the hero of our story, Boaz. This is his final words in the story. This is, this is his final, what he says to end. This is his last epilogue, basically. Boaz says to the elders in the crowd standing around, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, which were the father and his two sons, and with the land I have acquired, Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit all the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Boaz's final words is his final declaration, his final proclamation of, I have come and I have done what I was here to do. I am the superhero of this story and this I have finally accomplished what I was supposed to do. Everybody here is a witness to Ruth, the Moabite widow, being my wife. And then if you read on a little bit, um, it talks about how all of the people replied, yeah, we are witnesses. Yeah, Boaz, we love you. Ruth, we love you. This is gonna be so awesome. We're gonna take care of you. We, we all agree, we are all witnesses. I can just imagine in this movie, right? It's, it's the final celebration. It's the final thing of like, everybody is doing exactly how God intended it to be. And then let's go to verse 13. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. Then he slept with her and the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Here's what I find interesting about this story. And it's something that when I read it, I, I don't really have an answer to why it's like this, but I find it so interesting. So the detail that was in the story of Ruth, all of the details that the narrator went through the trouble of mentioning. I mean, we have a whole chapter dedicated to one day of, worth, of, work, of Ruth working in the fields. We have a whole chapter of Ruth dedicated to a few hours at night. We have half a chapter, this last chapter, we have half a chapter dedicated to this conversation between Boaz and another family redeemer. But then in one verse, verse 13, 
We have a wedding and a baby in one verse. But yet we had two whole chapters of just day-to-day stuff. But yet the final resolution, when Ruth finally gets everything she's wanted, a godly husband and a son to take her family line, that happens in one verse. It's so interesting to me that that's how the story wraps up. I can just imagine again, this is, this is kind of the moment. Um, this is the moment when, when you're all kind of, the, the, the story is sort of wrapping up. You see like kind of the, the right before the credits, you see everybody being happy. You see a birthday celebration. You see a wedding and then a birthday celebration of the child. And, you, and you're just starting to look at each other. You're, you're, you know, you're the people you're with. Like my wife and I, when the movie starts to end, we like look at each other and we're like, yeah, that was good. We liked it. Or no, we, we didn't get it, right? This is the moment when you start to look at each other and the movie's ending. Ruth finally got exactly what the Lord wanted her to have. Go to verse 16. So verse 16, this is the moment where we see the story wrapping up. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. Naomi finally got an heir. Naomi, the grandmother, whose name was Bitterness. We have a whole new picture of her at the end of this story. She's cuddling this baby. She's happy. I can imagine this huge smile on her face. And I can see the screen of the movie fading out. The music is coming in and the credits begin to roll. And as that happens, you start to get up with the people you're sitting in the movie theater with. You start to pack your belongings together and, and you start to head out of the movie, right? Because I'm trying to get out of that movie first because I don't want to wait on anybody. Um, I don't want to have to wait behind people. And then as you're walking out of the theater, all of a sudden the music stops and you hear something. Marvel movies are notorious for this. They always put a little secret something in the credits that if you don't stay, you miss. The narrator did that in this story. And I think it's so awesome. It's so cool. It's so, it's so something in the Bible that you wouldn't think would happen. So the last thing that happens is the bridge between where we're at in Ruth and the next chapter, the next chapter in the story of Jesus. See, we're in the time of the judges, which is a really terrible time for these people. And what's about to happen is about to bridge the gap to the next chapter, to the next phase of this country. And it all has to do with that child of Ruth and Boaz. So as you walk out of the movie theater, you hear something and then you go back in and you're just standing there staring at the screen, trying to figure out what's about to happen. And then the narrator drops this bomb that is like, whoa, what? Verse 17, now at last, Naomi had a son again and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. What, like King David? like the greatest king or one of the greatest kings of Israel, that David? You mean that this, this, this son between Ruth, a, a Moabite woman and Boaz, who is this superhero who was, by the way, remember the son of Rahab the prostitute, you mean those two people were the grandparents of King David? Just blows your mind. 
this is that twist ending where you can look back at all of Ruth and see there was something much bigger going on here than just Ruth and Boaz. That's why the story is in the Bible, not just to talk about the mundane of day-to-day life, but to show you that behind Ruth and Boaz, there was something much bigger going on that God had planned. God was constructing all of this behind the scenes to get them to King David, who, by the way, just the narrator proves it um, in this. Um, if you read the rest of the chapter, it talks about the genealogy um, and it talks about where they all came from and everything. Um, and then it gets to King David, who is in the bloodline of Jesus. All of this is building and building and building to something awesome at the end. The narrator threw this in here to show you, hey, you wanna come back for the sequel of this story of Ruth, right? Because I got something big that's happening. I got something huge. King David came out of this. Now, you're probably like, okay, that's, that's great. King David, I get it. Um, I'm so happy for Ruth. I'm happy for Boaz. They both got what they wanted. But, but, but what, if, what if that's not me? What if that's not happening to me? What if my movie that I'm in right now it's not the happy and it's not the happy orchestral music. It's not the screen fading out. It's me at that lowest point of my life where something else is happening that's not supposed to happen. What is that? Why? That, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that these people hundreds of years ago, I'm glad that happened to them. But how, what's happening to me now is what I care about. This is a story. Ruth is a story of redemption. Ruth is a story of somebody who's getting their life back. All throughout the story, we see Ruth slowly working towards getting her life back. And then at the very end, she finally gets the husband and the son, the heir that she always wanted. The son and the husband that, that God had planned for her, Naomi. Naomi, so an, an, old, an old widow, bitter lady at the end of the movie, at the end of the story, we see her happy with her grandchild. Ruth is an awesome, awesome example of what God can do in your life to redeem you. Now, you may not think that anything's happening. That's, in God, that's God's invisible hand working behind the scenes, just like he did for Ruth and Boaz. God is working behind the scenes in your life. Even if you may not see it, he is, he's there. He's not always gonna be upfront, center, visible, playing the lead role in your life. He may be behind putting you and positioning you exactly where you need to be. You just have to trust him and you have to take the steps to do it. We don't know exactly how long passed between the very beginning of the first chapter of Ruth and the very end. But that was probably a long time. It was probably a good while that Ruth was just like, I'm working in these fields, God, nothing's happening. It is a story of redemption. It is a story of somebody being redeemed. That can happen to you. All it takes is you to have faith and trust and know that God is working on your side, no matter what it seems like. And maybe, just maybe you're starting to see a little bit of that. 
Maybe after all of this that we've been talking about that Pastor Frank's been bringing to us, maybe you're starting to see the light start to happen. And if so, I would encourage you, please, please, please move towards that. Please move towards that. It's just like Pastor Frank mentioned um, just a minute ago, God is not gonna force himself on you. You have to run to him. Please keep pursuing that just like Ruth did. And if you're in the dark and you're, you know, thinking about your, you know, you don't know where you are, I encourage you, please pray. God's behind the scenes, I promise, even if you don't know it, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, he's there. Just like he was with Ruth. Let me pray for you guys. Dear God, I just, I thank you. I thank you for the ways that you work in our life. I thank you for being able to to work behind the scenes when even we don't know it, when even we can't see it or feel it, God, just that we know that you're there. You have the ability to change our lives in one breath. God, I pray for everybody in this room that that they're able to feel and know that your invisible hand is on them at all times, God, that you have got them. I pray that we take Ruth and Boaz. God, you gave us a perfect example, a a wonderful example uh, of what it's like when if you follow God's will, if you follow God the way that you're supposed to, that you will work it all out for good and bring people together and get them to where they're supposed to be, God. I thank you for their example. I pray that we follow their example and we try to do everything we can to please you so we can get to where we need to be, God. I thank you for everybody in this room. And I pray that if somebody doesn't know you, that they'll, um, they'll find somebody. They'll be like, God, you know, I, I wanna start moving towards you. I wanna be a Ruth. I wanna be a Boaz, but I don't know how. I pray that you talk to somebody, find somebody to talk to. God, we love you. You're wonderful. And we just praise your name every single chance we get. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Just like that movie, just like the movie we just talked about, just like the very last part when it talked about Jesse and David. I encourage you guys, we're going to continue this, these stories. I encourage you, please stay. Please keep coming. Please stay in tune to these stories because there are more stories like Ruth and Boaz, and I promise you do not want to miss them.